Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatter, a podcast from The Gist, with me, Josh Hamilton. Paul Torboyd from Lazar Yerk was our guest on today's show. We talked about the founding of Lazar Yerk, their desire to bring Ireland together in a 32-county socialist republic, the need for governments to admit that socialism actually works, and how their year of activism has been disrupted by COVID-19. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. So, here's Paul. Paul, thank you very much for appearing on the show. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. So, you're going to have to forgive my Irish pronunciation how do you pronounce your organization because i've only read it and i am terrified to butcher the uh, the name <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem it's a, it's a it's a common theme um lasser yarag is the pronunciation okay i would have definitely butchered that so that's that's a good start <laughs> so uh, do you want to start with your story of, of how you discovered the organization and and maybe give us like a little overview of of, of what your goals are and and things like that um, yes, definitely. Um, Lesser Yark um, came together, it would have been um, early to mid-2017, so we've been operating a few years now. Um, what, what sort of happened was there was a group of political and community activists had sort of coalesced and were, were active in, in different things in the community, and there was a bit of an organic process there, you know, when you're involved in political and community activism, um, you know, there's a group of people that have come together and, and you're getting active on different things. Um, it, it's it's best you apply the end of that, you know, and, and when you apply the end of that and um, you have different aspirations beyond um, just local activism, um, you want to grow an organisation uh, um, um, and build something across Ireland's 32 counties, um, having a name, a label, um, broader political aspirations, um, as you build in the in the public domain. Um, so for for us, early to mid-2017, a group of people had come together. We were active in the local um, community in, in West Belfast. Um, and we decided very early on that we wanted to have a broader political platform. Um, one of the things we had noticed from activism over many decades was that um, organizations, when they don't have their political colors nailed to the mast very early on, um, it can cause issues uh, further on in the organisation uh, where you're having all sorts of debates and the outcome of that can sometimes be division. So what we decided to do very early on was, was nail our colours to the mask um, and we developed a, a 10-point political programme which sort of provides our, it's our political programme, it provides our ideological uh, definition what we hope to uh, achieve in a 32-county socialist republic. Um, Everything right down to um, you know everything from education, health, uh, housing, um, down to bodily autonomy and, and women's health, um, equality, and so on. So it's a fairly it's a fairly concise um, document that was put together very early on. Um, the only thing that is missing from it is um, a drugs policy. But I understand our membership um, are sort of considering uh, how do you approach that at, at the present time. Um, hopefully we'll see the result of that in, in, in due course. So we wanted that political programme very early, early on because it meant that anybody that was coming into the, the organisation when we eventually opened up membership, um, 
it wouldn't, uh, you know, they would be on the same page as us. They would be building the same project. They would have the same aspirations and stuff like that. So that was one of several documents we put together very early on before we opened up membership. Um, the next document after that was, was strategy. You know, it's important that you have a, a, a strategic um, approach to, to your political program as well. And so we, we soldiered through all those over the course of one to two years. And it wasn't until, um, well, over the course of a year, it wasn't until early 2018, early to mid 2018, that we actually opened up membership. No, 2019, sorry, that we actually opened up membership. And so over the past year, um, we've been proactively building the organization and we do aspire to have eventually in the next number of short years um, a very national um, organization spread over as much as Ireland's 32 counties. So that's sort of a, a summary of where we've come from and a bit of an indication as to where we hope to be going. Okay, are you hoping to stand for the Assembly and for the the Parliament down south? Or in the, the Free State? I don't know no, how you would describe it. Maybe down south isn't the right way to put it. <laughs> Well, it's um, you know, I won't I won't berate you for your, your terminology, <laughs> but um, no, we we have no as we have no aspirations um to stand in elections. Elections up until this point have never focused in any of our conversations. Um, we're a political movement. Doesn't necessarily mean that we have to engage in the mainstream political process. We acknowledge that we're not a mainstream organization. Um, yet, <laughs> but um, no, we we've no aspirations for for our elections. They they don't factor into our um our strategic goals at this time. Okay, uh, so how would you, for someone who say isn't isn't that interested in in politics or or hasn't like experienced what like a grass movement grassroots movement might look like? How do you intend to make your case to the public and to try and build momentum for the thirty-two socialist or thirty-two county socialist uh, republic that you're you're aiming for without standing in elections? Like, uh, what's your what's your plan there? Well, when you examine the mainstream political process, you'll actually find that as much as it's defined as democratic, um, it's not necessarily a completely democratic process. Um, especially in the six counties, um, when you examine the political process here and how political parties operate, I mean, if you consider that it's actually a minority of people that vote, you know, if, if the voting age is, is restricted to those above 18, um, uh, at that, you know, it's not a majority, or sorry, it's it's not not everybody is registered to vote. And then the um, voting is, is usually done by a majority of those registered. So you have this re constantly reducing pool of people that are actually voting. Um, and then their uh, political views, or rather who they vote for, are what defines the political process. But setting all that aside, even um, those that um, take their seats in Stormont, they're massively restricted um, by the structures that are in place there. Um, the petition of concern being a major one. Um, when you consider that the rights for the LGBT community had been evaded for years um, in terms of marriage equality, when you consider that the rights for women in terms of um, access to adequate health care and control of their own bodies had been evaded for years as well. And it actually had taken, you know, it actually had taken it to get to the point where Storming wasn't sitting anymore and um, where Westminster could legislate on behalf of the six counties and, and sort of enforce the outcome. Um, and I suspect that it was an outcome that 
a lot of the DUP um, knew that they had to stand against um, if it were to be brought to Stormont, but I, I would suspect that uh, a number of them, possibly Arning Foster herself, um, was almost happy to see it enacted by Westminster, so it was an issue that she didn't have to have to deal with, you know. So the political process for me is is in, in the six counties in particular is is basically institutionalized sectarianism. What it has done is, is serve to um, maintain the, the division in the six counties beyond uh, the Good Friday Agreement. Um, so for me, uh, personally speaking, um, all it's done is pass the issue on to another generation and the failure to resolve the, the real constitutional issues um, and the real rights in, in the Good Friday Agreement um, have just delayed the inevitable. So you think the structures put in place, um, like the, the, the system of, of consocio- uh, consociationalism, I hope I've said that right, and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, Hunt and the way that we've set up with a, a mandatory coalition with, with the, the, the largest unionist and nationalist parties, you think that's just essentially meant that it's impossible for us to move on from those, that entrenched community feeling that that we've had for four years like you're saying that those structures are the very reason that we haven't been able to move on um i would argue completely yeah that that would be the case i mean look at the 26 county state in the south there um i mean protestantism existed there um pre uh partition um orange order existed uh loyalism existed um, when British kings came to Dublin, there was crowds out to meet them with, with Union Jacks and whatever else. Um, so that feeling of loyalism or unionism, there would have been a large proportion of that in the South, but having resolved to a degree the constitutional issues, so to speak, um, removing the institutionalized sectarianism. Um, there's an argument there, I think, um, that resolving partition is the only way to resolve sectarianism across Ireland's 32 counties, you know? I haven't heard anyone make that case before. That's that's an interesting point. Like, do you think, do you think that socialist ideas in, especially in, in the six counties, are, are really viable? I don't, because personally, I, I don't get the feeling that we've got a real sense of, of class consciousness in in Northern Ireland, at least I, I, I like I can't speak to to um, the rest of Ireland because I, I just don't spend enough time with enough people from 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 the, the Republic to to really like get a grasp on what the feeling is. But like my impression of Northern Ireland was always that we're I don't know, we're just not that class conscious. <laughs> Yeah, um, the difficulty is that you don't have a united working class across the board. You're starting to see some movement. You'll, you'll see um, a sort of working class unity in, in certain trade union fights and, and whatever else. But it would seem to me that most or a large part, rather, of the class consciousness is, is has a tendency to be wrapped up in, in sectarianism as well. Um which is a real pity, mm. you know. But that's that again is from what I can see an outcome of the state. You know, you've, you're you're voting for green or orange, and that tends to reflect upon your your working class politics. Do you think that 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 it's it's even like viable to suggest that they they could like the people could vote 
like that the options are there to vote for for non-sectarian parties but you know we just have chosen not to like is it a case that we we enjoy maybe well maybe not enjoy but that we're just fine to accept the sectarianism as uh, broadly like we just sort of get well, we, well, well no well, one no one stands up and says this is the the election in which we you know we're going to reject sectarianism apart from the alliance party and, and the green party everyone else just goes like full for it uh, and and we accept that vote for it and give our consent for it or, or would you argue that we're not truly giving consent for it due to the, the low turnout um i don't i mean <sighs> It's easy. It's easy for different people to sort of step back and look upon it. You know, those that aren't engaged in the process and easily identify um, sectarianism or, or bigotry or, or whatever else. But for a lot of people here, the issue here is is identity, and, and from that, um, sectarianism can can flow. And there is a raise. I mean, you've, you've noticed in West Belfast in particular, there is a raise of of a different kind of politics, um, absent of the mainstream narrative. You've seen the likes of Jerry Carl who. I understand was on your show before. Yeah. Um you've seen the rise of his organization. He's he's now an MLA himself, um, a number of councillors within the party in West Belfast. I mean, to state that ten years ago that, that would be the case, or rather fifteen years ago that, that would be the case. <laughs> you'd, you'd have been laughed out of West Belfast, but he's he's managed to to dig out a, a hole of support in, in one of the, the largest Republican areas in, in, in Ireland. Um so there is a case there that um you know there is a generation coming through that um are younger i mean you, you look at jerry carl he's he's about what early 30s and most of his organization is around the same age or, or lower um in the six counties or particular and particularly in, in west belfast um and they do good work on the ground um so you, you can see that that the people are starting to set aside um the, the simple green and, and the simple orange um arguments um jerry i'm sure would argue that he is uh, a republican a socialist himself um I'll let him make that case if he, if he likes of course I don't, i'm not trying to speak for him but you can see that that raise of alternative politics here um and the alliance party would be another one as well as as you've mentioned so but again, I mean, in, in, when you look upon all that as a whole, um, what's what's largely been achieved through all that? I mean, what has the the political process achieved for for normal working class people in terms of their bills? Mm, very basically? very little, you know. I, I mean, you could you could argue that it's been very little for for a very long time <laughs> that, that yeah. our current our current setup has has failed us, uh, which it kind of draws me to, to towards something I was I was wanting to to discuss. So, in in this hypothetical scenario, say we are fifteen or twenty years down the line, and you've been really successful in spreading your ideas and your your thoughts, and you've man- you're you're looking at a position where you know you, you have to try and restructure the the neoliberal like free market economy that we have now dealt with for the past forty years that's been slowly built up. So, how do you how do you reform that like where would you go if you had just complete free reign and and to 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 restructure the economy like what what would you guys do well as as you know we're a socialist republican organization so um that sort of defines our economic outlook in terms of a 32 county socialist republic but right okay so how, how far would that go into because um, some people will hear the word socialism and jump straight to like, oh, Karl Marx re- reincarnate or 
uh, and some people will hear socialism and they'll think just very incremental little tiny things like okay maybe the nhs or um public transport being nationalized and just you know there's a big scope there like how far would you guys there there is there is there and and this is a, a debate that i've had often i mean to speak more specifically, I mean, I would define myself as a Marxist-Leninist. It doesn't mean that I'm sort of an academic or um, well-tuned in to all the political theory. Um, I've read all the books. I, I haven't, but it, it is the ideological position that I, I've arrived at um, at most points. Um, Marxist-Leninism, um, it sort of um, it manifests itself in Ireland as socialist republicanism. And that's sort of the best definition that I can give. But there's a massive debate there to be had in terms of definitions. I mean, one thing to one person um, can mean something completely different to another. Um, one of the biggest public fights in terms of definitions that's happening at the minute is, is anti-fascism. Um, everybody's against the Nazis. We're all anti-fascists. But Antifa or Antifa, as, as the word, the, the buzzword that's being thrown about today, is being used to, you know, denigrate a whole um, sort of uh, loose coalition of people with a, a single mind um, in terms of fighting fascism and sectarianism. And they're being branded with this, this hate symbol, Antifa. Um, so that definition of Antifa and, and, and anti-fa, you know, it's, it's the same thing, but it's completely different things to, to different people in, in terms of, you know, depending on the conversation that's being had. So the same thing can, can apply to socialism, to republicanism. or um, So socialism, like you said, it's, it is a massive, there is a huge broad scope there. You've, I mean, you're starting from social democracy, the democratic socialism, all the way up to communism. Um, we would, our organization would put ourselves firmly on the left. So when it comes to um, the economic processes in society, um, it's our position that those processes are governed and managed by those that will benefit from them the most. Um, that would be the, the ruling class. Um, and so we would like to put those processes in the hands of the biggest class in society, which is the Irish working class. Um, my main concern with economics right from a republican perspective is that obviously as a republican we're democratic we want to see democratic structures across the island but why should that democracy stop when it comes to the economy so what we're arguing for is a democratic economic process where the largest amount of people possible have the biggest say in terms of um the economic ebbs and flows um if you look at housing in particular in Ireland and the cost of housing and inflation um, supply and demand. I mean, I know you've mentioned them before neoclassical economics, supply and demand and the free market and stuff like this. Um, that only serves to make those that are rich, um, richer. Um, and in order to do that, it must impoverish um, the rest of us. So when it comes to the likes of housing and you talk about what that might look like in, in a 32 county socialist republic but we want to remove and uh, the profit motive from those economic processes so i mean water is a good example here you know where water is managed by the state now you can make all sorts of arguments about how effective it's managed and whatever else um i think it's money as well for the most part we can drink our water here um it's clean most of the time when there's not a scare. Um, but if that was in the hands of a private company, um, their first motive would be to reduce costs. Um, 
so they would be sort of maybe not investing in, in the proper paperwork expansion. They would only be expanding in the areas where it's profitable. Um, broadband is a good example of that. You know, there's insufficient coverage across a six-county state. I believe there was a headline there this morning that's, that's identified that. I can't remember the figures, but I'm sure that during the, the, the coronavirus crisis and people trying to work from home, that it's been highlighted massively. Um, so it would seem in that case that Jeremy Corbyn was right. Um, not not that I'm a massive supporter. Let me just add that caveat. But, but um, you know, there is there's clearly an argument for the state to manage uh, critical resources, particularly water, uh, broadband. Why not electricity? You know, why not bring electricity into the hands of the public domain? So one thing that really uh, bothers me, right, um, when you look at housing. Um, across Ireland. It makes sense for any business person to acquire land, uh, to build a house on it, and to sell it for profit or for rent. It makes sense. In fact, you know, this. Th- those arguments are, are oftentimes put forward by even the banks, you know, uh, rent to buy loans or buy to rent loans or build your own home. Um, the economic processes um, are oftentimes put in the hands of massive developers and it's up to them to you know to bring forward critical resources like housing um the figures we run about 18 months ago now bear in mind they're, they're a little bit old but I, I would imagine they're not much different and um, across both field states in ireland you have 119,000 um people without a home families without a home one or the other significant number anyway but across both field states you have 200,000 empty houses so if the will was there you could literally solve ireland's housing crisis at the stroke of a pen and um, but the will is not there because they've decided that um they've decided that it's more important for for people other than those that need them to, to own those homes um the housing economy is a large um section of the ac- economic processes in the six and 26 county states and the outcome of that, you know, when we have the ebb and flow um, in capitalist um, economies, when we have downturns, etc., um, the outcome of that is, is massively that detrimental because of inflation and inflated costs, additional profit, um, the property bubble, and so on. So we, we know that capitalist economics doesn't work. It works for 5, 10, 15 years. It works for the rich. Um, and then when we have an economic downturn, um, we, we apply socialism, um, for want of a better word. It's not actually socialism, but it's those types of processes that's applied to it in order to save the economy. And really what they're saying there is, um, yeah, we know socialism works. Yeah, we, we, we can apply it here when we need to, but when we don't need to, we want the rich to get richer. So in, in short, um, we need to look at housing. We need to look at um the electricity system, uh, the water system, um, all those um, social um, requirements, and they need to be brought under the public good, um, so that we can administer them for, for ourselves. And housing, in particular, the amount of profit applied to housing. If you consider, um, in the south, there was there was figures run in the last few years there where it costs one hundred and eighty thousand pounds, I think, uh, to build a house. Um, a house is typically built over 32 weeks in order to maximize its profits. A house can be built much quicker than that, as we know. But that house would then go on. This is your typical three-bed house. It would then go on to be sold 
uh, for 330,000 euro. Um, significant amount of profit. So if somebody's getting a mortgage on 330,000 euro, what they're actually paying over the 25 years is significantly more than that. Um, you could be talking half a million pounds easy, you know, with the, with the um, um, APR and stuff. Um, if that property is then sold on, and then another mortgage is applied, banks can be making millions of one home. And that money is all extracted from the people to the banks, sent offshore into somebody's bank account. And so what you actually have then is an economic process which extracts as much wealth as it can from every county in Ireland, sends it offshore so it isn't um, retained in-house for, for local use. Contrast that with the coronavirus crisis. And what the government's actually done was put as much hand, money as they could in the hands of normal working people because they know that the more hand, the more money you put in the hands of consumers, uh, the more likely uh, an economy is to succeed and, and to grow. So by putting the money in the hands of people that needed it, that they were going to spend it locally in local stores and in the local businesses, um, they retained um, a process where, where the economy sort of edged forward and capital alive during during the crisis. And there's a reason that because of that, the, the next downturn hasn't happened. Um, when they start to remove um, those um, support mechanisms, we'll start to see the next downturn, uh, I would imagine. I mean, we've already seen like a pretty huge economic shock in um, in April, May time. Um, I think it was, I, I, I don't know what the figure for, for um, the Republic of Ireland was, but uh, the UK economy shrank by by 20%. It was like 20 years worth of, of growth just just gone <laughs> in like two months. Um, and well, this obviously, is the obviously the stock market isn't an, a good metric of, of of like a measure of the health of an economy but but you, you i think your point is right that we, it's like we've seen a little bit of like after the initial shock it's it's been fairly steady just like slowly ticking upwards but it's, it's not useful what, what you've said is is quite true i think in that as soon as the say the furlough scheme ends and the, the the loans start to be called back and and suddenly the money from and the support starts to dry up we're gonna see um we're gonna see a lot a lot more economic hardship but i, I want to ask about about you um something you you talked about housing there how would you solve that that housing program do you guys have like a a program would it be an empty house tax in the same way they have in uh toronto and, and vancouver i think i'm aware and it's been pitched in london um or would you suggest that in a true socialist um republic that you wouldn't actually have that much home ownership would it be a lot of renting or would it be social housing like uh, how would you solve that that issue just just i'm curious well our position on housing is, is very simple um we don't believe i mean housing is a human right okay so we don't believe that anything that is a basic human right should be allowed to be profited from so that applies to healthcare, housing um, and so on. So we want to see profit completely removed. We want that motive completely removed from the housing system. That means that nobody is allowed to own a house to rent it in order to make profit. It means that nobody's allowed to own an additional home so long as somebody is homeless. I mean, you look at those figures across both failed states, if we were in government tomorrow, not that that's going to happen. Um, but, um, you know, if, if we, if we, if our organisation over the next 20 to 50 years or whatever it is, um, takes control across 32 counties, um, we would be requisitioning all housing, bringing it on to the public good. Um, and then the community can decide 
who lives where. You know, so it would be a new economic process removed of a profit motive. It would be a service rather than um, a business. And at a local level, local uh, institutions can decide, um, you know, you could have them, uh, it could be community networks, could decide who lives in, in which street. Um, obviously, with caveats for no discrimination and all this type of stuff. And um, So, you know, as, as democratic a process as possible. Absent of the profit motive, where housing is put directly under the control of the people um, as a human right. So how do you get to this um, economic, uh, economic democratization? So you've said that your, your goal isn't, especially initially, for sure, not to stand um, for, for parliament, um, either side of the, the border. And... Uh, so how how do you get to that process of, of economic um, democratization? Say say you have like so, like enough supporters, and and someone said, okay, we want to we want you to figure out how you're going to do this. Like how would you, ins- how would you govern for, or how would you take like polling of of the opinion of the of the country? Like how how would you basically like get that? that figured out would you use a citizens assembly would you be interested in like direct democracy or what would be your thoughts on how to how to, how to get there well i think that's a great question and i'll have to choose my words carefully here um we, we don't want opinion polls um if there's an injustice in the world and something's not right it just needs fixed you know we don't need to go and garner mass opinion to see if everybody else agrees with us. Um, the housing system's broken. You know, in my constituency here, uh, West Belfast, some of the latest figures, um, I don't know, sorry, I don't know if it's in West Belfast or across the six-county state, but 18,000 families um, on the housing register. That to me is, I mean, that's, the fact that that's been, I mean, that's all my life I remember those conversations people trying to get on housing waiting lists or struggling to pay rent. The housing system's broken. You know, we don't need to go and look for other opinions in terms of um, what, what people think about that. It's, it's clear as day. Um, I think there's only one solution, and that's that the housing system should be seized. So our approach at this point is to build a mass movement of people. Now, whether or not we're going to be the ones to do it, um, that's absolutely up for debate, but we'll be following the, the process year by year. Where our aim at this point is to build an organization, a mass movement of people that will, in the likes of West Belfast, take a serious look at housing um, and and sort of make decisions themselves about what they think housing should look like and, and sort of get active on, on that. Um, if in 10 years' time we had a very large pool of people in one area, we would start to seriously look at, at building alternative structures within the community, alternative systems of control, absent of the state. And that would be our strategic objective um, in terms of building the organization to get to that point um, and sort of building the socialist republic. We don't view the state. I mean, all revolutions are about seizing the state apparatus in order to affect economic control. Our position and our strategic outlook is that we can seize economic control at a local level and therefore seize the state. So we've actually flipped that completely on its head. And from, from what I can see, there's nobody else out there at the moment speaking on those terms. So our outlook is somewhat different than all other organizations. We actually seek 
to, to seize housing at a local level in order to seize the state. Um, it's a very summarised way of, of, of putting it, but housing will be one of our major objectives when we build our mass movement here. Um, we'll be looking in, in areas like West Belfast. So if there is an empty house and nobody's using it, or we know who it belongs to and it's not being utilised for the benefit of the community, we would be very seriously looking at that um, in terms of creating better outcomes. So your ultimate goal would be to create like a patchwork of localised little, I don't know, councils or whatnot throughout each, say, borough, rather than like a, a mass, like more sort of federalised, like 32 county wide specific movement. Like, would you be more, you'd be more focused on, on giving small individual areas their autonomy rather than like one big sweeping reform as as part of a strategic process to seize a state yes so we believe that um building small autonomous areas in working class districts will allow us to, to build an organization um, or a movement rather um to seize the economic processes at a local level um then you know you work your way up you, you build that up um from streets to districts and uh, states um, to towns to cities um and then that links up and creates a state within a state um so we actually think when, when looking at, at that in those terms it's very hard work but it doesn't mean that we're marching in columns up the storm of their leinster house to seize the state apparatus rather we're using democracy at a local level um and using people's wishes and outcomes and, and rights and needs to build something new uh, street by street. It'd be a lot of hard work. It's a massive aspiration. We don't doubt it for one second, but we think the world's there. And if we if we commit to that over the next 5, 10 to 20 years, um, those are the terms upon which we're talking. I have no doubt that the possibility to build something um, is there. Now, something that I came across uh, whilst reading about the the 2016, this is going to seem unrelated, but I promise it is, okay? So, <laughs> something I came across when I was uh, reading a book called Fallout by Tim Shipman. Um, it was written about the year in British politics from the from the Brexit referendum, um, just the next the next twelve months, as far as as far as I can remember. Uh, it's a fantastic piece of work and it's a really like interesting like inside look in some cases at what was going on in Jeremy Corbyn's camp through the the 2016 election and his um like the the takeover of momentum and the sort of left of the party um over those like year or two from 2015 to 2017 and something that the the author commented on and um i'd not actually heard it put quite like this was the the difference between left-wingers in in the labor party that were joining especially young people was the difference between the lenonist and the leninist so there was the 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 leninist or the lenonist like with an o like as in the beetle were very much like just sort of young they weren't like particularly politically engaged before but you know they liked what jeremy corbyn was saying they liked his vibe and and they would have been pretty happy in like the 60s and summer of love versus like the leninists who would consider themselves to be like more militaristic almost in their kind of like commitment to the the, the left-wing cause 
people would hold them maybe john mcdonald up in a, as an example of, of someone like this he's like a, a very sort of not so secret marxist <laughs> um, yeah do you see that being something that you've noticed in in your work in building this this um organization and, and community that you've started to do have you found that you've seen like a similar distinction or is is are, are people more i don't know sort of together on their view of how the world should 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 be in from what you've encountered anyway well i think i see the point that you're making and i'll, I'll, I'll summarize it thus um i had a, conver- a conversation with a comrade there in recent weeks um about obviously our organization we opened up our membership there um in early 2019 just last year and um, we have had a growth in membership um based on our activism um, our membership in Belfast is almost our membership of activists in Belfast has almost doubled in the last year. Oh, congratulations! Um, and, and we're now having growth in in in, in Cork, Limerick, uh, Derry applications coming through in Dublin. Much of those applications are, from what we've seen so far, working class activists. Um, but there is there is, from what I've noticed, um, there would be people that are coming through from um, universities. Um, so far, I mean, the conversation I had with a comrade quite recently was that you know, give me, give me five activists, five, give me five communists from a working class area over fifty communists from a university, um, I, I would choose the five, you know. So there is, there is a strain when, when going through university, um, and so you know, it's, it's easier to fall into politics, and much of that politics can be wrapped up in liberalism and. And uh, Corbynism more recently, um, support for him and, and whatever else. But from what we've seen, no, even those coming from universities, um, particularly Queens and Belfast, we, we haven't noticed that that liberalism. Everybody has been on very much the same page as us in terms of socialist republicanism. Um, so in short, no, I know what you're talking about, but we haven't noticed it with ourselves yet, I'm sure. It's just, uh, yeah, I just... So you haven't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't back the critique of the left that maybe more broadly applies to the UK and the US in that you know, that it's become a a bunch of of middle class hippies. I, I I've heard that argument made plenty of times. Um, I've I've seen a lot of it. Um, it's it's liberalism dressed up in the language of, of socialism. You know, it's 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 a trendy lefty uh, type thing. I mean, our organisation itself, just just looking inward, is is focused on activism. You know, and the activism flows from the ideological position. So, we've we've been largely ab- absent of that. Um, and if you know, if if somebody became part of our organisation and, and weren't active or just wanted the membership card, it doesn't really work like that. Um, so when you come in and you're part of a branch, you're helping to build the organisation, and you're out there day and daily, um, doing what you can when you can. There's no pressure put on people, but if you don't tie in and you're not active um on our ideological position or our activism whatever else then it's not that you're set aside but there are different um areas of the organization where you can go and, and provide your focus so we have a large supporters network as well um so if if it's not easy for you to tie in with a branch and stuff um you can go into the supporters network um and give your give your time there on social media or whatever else you know so Largely, no. I mean, it's not. I mean, I know what you're talking about. I've seen it. I've seen it discussed a lot, a lot on, on on social media. But in terms of ourselves looking inward, no, it's not something we've experienced yet. Okay. So, what are you working on at the moment? What What are are your sort of near term goals? Is there projects you're you're running at the moment? Sort of say, like, what does the next eighteen months look like for you guys? 
Well, we, we declared at the start, I mean, 2019 was our year of foundation. So a lot of hard work was put in place before we opened up membership. Um, and we continued that work throughout the year. 2020, we declared was to be our year of activism. Um, the last six months, we put a review video out there quite recently has sort of shown how much activism we've put in with a very small group of people. We are, we are a small organization. Um, so we're very activist focused. And on that basis, we have a number of campaigns which are designed to tie into our strategic objectives, which are to build mass, build the organization and, and build projects. Two of those campaigns are called Storm and Can't Deliver uh, for very obvious reasons. And then the other one is um, End Imperialism and the Occupation. Um, one of the major issues I think at the moment is in terms of uh, campaigning, it would seem that imperialism as the core issue here in the six counties has almost been set aside. You know, it's it's almost it's such a given uh, for socialist republican organisations that activism um, on that level, um, sort of on the streets and sort of highlighting it and the processes of it and all that um, is largely missing. So we we wanted to to expand upon that as much as possible and to build an actual campaign. That's happening quite slowly. Um, the other campaign, like I said, is storm and can't deliver. Um, that encompasses everything in the sex county state, from housing, you know, storm can't deliver, um, women's uh, health, um, bodily autonomy, storm obviously can't deliver, and so on. So that that campaign is designed to embody all the issues with with the sex county storm and state, um, and sort of the funnel them into the campaign of, of highlighting the inadequacies. Um, but from a core Republican perspective, in terms of a thirty-two county socialist republic. It's very obvious that Stormont can't deliver. Um, and so those arguments need to be made again in sort of in, in terms of rebuilding the Republican base. So those are the two uh, main campaigns that we've got. Um, our, our activists at the moment, there's, there's a meeting scheduled here in the next week. Uh, we're bringing as many people together in the room to discuss housing. Um, obviously, it's been a, a huge focus in this conversation. Outside of this podcast and um, this interview and wherever else, it's, it's a huge focus for everybody. So housing, obviously, um, will 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 become a huge part um, of our focus. I would imagine in the next six to twelve to eighteen months, um, what that looks like is to be decided by membership. Um, but I'm sure it'll be the outcome of all the um, the subject matter we've discussed here today in terms of uh, rights and inadequate access to housing and and more. So. Does COVID give us an an opportunity, or is it is it, do you feel it's given your yourselves an organ like a chance to bring in a lot of new people and and get people thinking about new ways in in which we can organize our our, our society, our politics, and our economy? Do you, do you see this as as an opportunity, or do you think that once we we start to go back to a bit of normalcy, that 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 sort of feeling of the need for change will will have dissipated? Uh, well, let's see. A massive gap opened up um, when the coronavirus happened. There was a spike in activism. That much is clear um, across the board. So people being out of work and stuff. I mean, look at the, the Black Lives Matter protests um, across the globe. I think there's a bit of an argument to be made there that... Um, you know, in the absence of work, was there more people um, on the streets? Um, you know, and going back into a normal, well, normal, quote-unquote, uh, work-life balance. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt that that will remove people from the street. They'll have less time. 
uh, to do other things. Um, so I think there'll be um, that'll be an outcome that you'll see a, a reduction actually in the next few months in, in activism across the board from all organisations. You know that'll be one outcome. I don't think it'll be until the next inevitable proper downturn when we start to see the effects of that, um, and not just the effects, but the response from the state. I don't think it'll be up until that point that we'll actually see the actual political outcome or the activist outcome at a local level um, in, in response to that. Um, there's no doubt that the uh, Tory government and subsequently um, the Sinn Féin DUP government in the six counties, they're very much, excuse me, they're very much wedded to neoliberal economics. Um, Which is shocking for two grassroots parties. <laughs> Like working time. class um, grassroots parties, like that's where they both came from. Yeah, um, it's it just highlights their inadequacy um, when it comes to economics. Um, Sinn Féin in particular would have defined themselves as socialist in the past, and that's um, a description that's been largely dropped, um, except maybe when it comes to a vote or two at local level and they were want to retain some support. But they're very much wedded. I mean, you just need to look at their, their special advisors, um, their economic positions up in Stormont, um, and I'm talking about Sinn Féin and the DUP, um, to see what their um, their economic outlook or position is. And the very fact that they were willing to um, acquire large loans from the British state in order to, to sack um, thousands and thousands of um, public service workers um, gives an indication as to, to where their, their heart lies in terms of workers, really, you know. Um, and that's all about, I mean, that's a neoliberal outlook. That's all about reducing uh, the state and, and letting uh, private hands determine um, the processes in society in terms of supply, demand, wages and all that, you know. So um, there's only one, one direction that that economic process can go and that's just it's, it's downturn after downturn and that's what we're looking at here because not just the failure of the Tory government but the failure of the, the government in the six county state and indeed the 26 county state it leads to one it leads leads to one inevitable outcome um which is downturn which is austerity uh, which is political activism um from the working class so i would hope um based on your question i would hope that um organizations are, are much better prepared this time around. I mean, you have a generation of young people there that experienced the most recent downturn. Mm -hmm. And to say we're angry about it will be an understatement. So I would hope going into this next one with the um, very possible um, austerity measures brought in on top of what was there previously, that people will be a little more angry about it um, and to say to do a wee bit, a wee bit more about it, you know? I, I get well, I hope you're right anyway, but that feels like a very yeah. nice positive note um, to leave things on. I, I have to do um, another call here in like five minutes, so I am going to have to no problem. But I really appreciate your time. That was really, really interesting to get to hear your perspective and, um, yep. and sort of thoughts about, about where, where we might be headed in a in a you know utopian socialist republic coming forward looking at this. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. And thanks for having me. Just before I do go, I would advise people just to have a look at our website. It's lazaryard.com. Um, cursory Google search um, will, will help you find it. There's the Facebook page and Twitter as well. Um, our activists also run a magazine as well called Ansprick. Um, it's a socialist Republican magazine. It's been out of print now, obviously, over the coronavirus crisis, but we do expect to have our next issue in September. So if people can give that uh, a wee look as well, 
uh, bit of a selfish plug there, Josh. But I'm no, sure no, that's this is the exact moment I was gonna I was gonna say <laughs> if there's anything you want me to to put um, links for, um, just uh, send them over to me and I'll stick them in the in the show notes and whatnot so anyone can uh, find Fantastic. find yourself, your Twitter, and anything else you, um, you want me to to link in there. But yeah, it was a, an absolute pleasure. Thanks, thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Josh. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks for listening.